I find recruiting is kind of like a puzzle that's always evolving and you'll never always be able to solve every corner of the puzzle. Like you'll never have the whole thing put together, but you just have to constantly be making the best picture that you possibly can. Hey there, I'm Janie Budnick, the pet sitter guru and founder of Pet Biz Hive and Pet Biz MBA. The Pet Biz Hive podcast is a space for pet business owners to still get all those things done while getting some tips and business education in their ears. So pop in an earbud and get ready for the buzz. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Pet Biz Hive, where all the cool kids hang out in the pet industry. Now, I'm really excited. I have a special guest this week. It's Joe Latona with Walker Scout. Um, I had actually seen him, uh, well, met him for the first time. I, I knew about him, but met him for the first time at the NAPS convention this spring, where he did a wonderful presentation on a lot of aspects of hiring and recruiting. So I thought, ah, perfect. That's my bang too. So we need to talk more. Welcome, Joe, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes. Fill everyone in. Well, I guess, first of all, introduce yourself, what you do, and a little bit more about your history. It's quite fascinating. Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So we are a recruiting solution for the pet care industry. The thought is that most owners don't have the time or the desire or um, the skill to recruit. So it's a problem, just like, you know, bookkeeping is a problem or compliance is a problem. So uh, the thought here is that you can engage the service when you need the service. And we will go through the process of um, posting job, you know, your job post for you, managing uh, that. Uh, reviewing incoming candidates, reviewing their resumes, contacting the candidates. We perform a virtual interview with them. Um, We collect and obtain their professional references. We verify work history. And the thought is that you would receive an email from us with a short summary of who this person is. We actually now also include a link to a video. So you can actually watch the interview if you want to. You can watch it in faster than real time. You can read the, the, the the transcript. There's also um, some highlights that are generated automatically by the software that we use. So the hope is that we could take all of this work and um, present it to you in the form of like a five to 10 minute long email. You should be able to ascertain within five minutes uh, if this person can move forward to meet with you or meet with management. And uh, our most successful clients tend to schedule a, a brief 10 minute long, 15 minute long telephone call with the candidates. They make sure it's a good cultural fit, and then they offer a job verbally over the phone, usually followed by like a DocuSign to get, because the goal here is we want to really expedite the recruiting process. Um, we want to get these people off of the job market, stop them from applying at other businesses, and you know qu- quickly convert them from someone who's just viewing a job post to kind of set up to start training you know, in the near, near future. So that's the service. Um, you know, we try to make it a turnkey solution for people. Um, and after a little bit more than four years, I could say that we've been relatively successful with it. So we're, we're very fortunate. Holy wow. Okay. You just put so much into one little thing there. Um, let me backtrack a little bit. So, I mean, you kind of started talking about it being there for people that don't have the, the time, desire, or the skill. 
And that totally resonated with me because, of course, as pet business owners, time is finite and we never have enough of it. The, the time and the skill really seem to be the two big ones that jumped out. I mean, we all, you know, when you need to hire, boy, there's a lot of desire, but <laughs> it's, it's the time, it's the process, it's getting the ad out, it's, it's the interview, it's the screening, it's just everything that's involved in that. And then the skill, I, I had zero skill when I started this. And I was also over the years able to really get in touch with knowing that it wasn't my wheelhouse. And so I've had to fill, fill that wheelhouse with an HR manager. And now my management team does all the hiring for me because they're incredible. Yeah, that's I beautiful. I suck at interviewing. I know how to interview, but I suck at actually doing it. I find as, a, as the business owner that I feel like I like, oh, I just want to sell my business because what I do is so freaking amazing. Yeah. And, you know, God gave us one mouth and two ears for a reason. And I just like lose that somewhere in the middle of it. My mouth just constantly goes and I'm not listening like you're supposed to. You know, sometimes it's just not our forte. It's good to have resources, resources for that. I think you're, you're spot on when it comes to, especially when you're, I mean, obviously you're passionate about your own business. Mm-hmm. You, you are going to sell it. And there is an aspect of sales, especially if you meet someone who you know, like this person, unless there's a surprise, this person's probably going to move forward to the next phase pretty quickly. And then you do need to put on your sales hat because you know that they're, we actually typically ask in the virtual interview, you know, are you applying to other jobs or are any of the other jobs animal related? You know, we're doing that because we, one, want to figure out if they're, how, you know, motivated are they as job seekers? Are they applying to a bunch of other jobs every day? And how motivated are they to actually work with animals? You know, is this just a job to them or is this part of like an actual desire to care for animals professionally? Um, But it's, yeah, you know, you're, I think you're also right about um, time and you have to value your time as an owner. You know, I wonder, I mean, no one really does this, but if you were to try to figure out how much money you make per hour is the owner of your business, we want to make sure that there's always a strong return on investment for our clients where they could always rationalize it and say, well, you know, it's just like a plumber. Like you, you can replace your own toilet, but you, you probably shouldn't do it. And, and most people, yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. I replaced the toilet once and I promised myself I'd never do it again. So um, yeah, it's the, it's that concept of, we want to make sure that the amount of time that we put into this, that value, you will see that as a, as an owner, or even if you have a management team, you know, not everyone is, uh, fortunate to have a management team that could also recruit. That's that's the thought behind it. And um, yeah, we enjoy it. It helps that you that we enjoy what we do. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and and that's one of the cool things that, uh, you know, you're not just an HR guy. You have a really unique perspective because you were in the industry yourself. Tell everybody a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, so well, you're I, in both industries. So, yeah, both industries. Y- yes. So I worked for Windy City Dog Walkers in Chicago uh, for 11 years and wow. started as a dog walker. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Right around the same time I was working there as a dog walker, I was also moonlighting. I always joke that every dog walker has two lives. So I was working late afternoons and evenings for a recruitment processing outsourcer near downtown Chicago. And the company I worked for, one of their primary clients was a major airline. And my job there was to speak with people over the phone about either working as a baggage handler or working as a flight attendant because the... The, that company that I was representing, they would receive thousands of applications. 
there's no way their internal HR department could, could go through and actually sift through everybody. So they would use the company that I actually worked for as like the first one or two filters to their pipeline. And um, so I kind of took what I learned from that experience and from college. And I um, slowly started making some small suggestions to where I worked at Windy Sea Dog Walkers. Keep in mind, the owner of that business had fantastic ideas as well about recruiting. Um, and we were able to, over the course of my 11 years there, and that I was recruiting the entire time, but we went from five people to about 45 people in the 11 years I was there. I probably spent about the last, if I had to make a guess, maybe like eight years, seven or eight years involved with recruiting for that team. And my last three years, I think I was there, that was essentially my sole purpose. Because when you get to a team of about 45 people, um, you still have the, the desire to grow, but you also, now you're battling the turnover. You, you basically have to engage someone to be a full-time recruiter at that point to meet your, your desire to grow your business, but just to maintain your business, even to maintain your client list. Once you get to 30 or 40 people, like that's, that's a full-time job unto itself almost. Yeah. Um, that, that is kind of the turning point there. Yeah. And you know, at that, at that point, it's the, it's the economy of numbers. It's like yeah. okay, a step forward, then you've got two steps back. Then you take three forward and one back and you know, it's yeah. Yeah. It's and outs of it. I think you're totally spot on. And it's um, so in 2018, we had a pretty solid year and uh, we were having a casual conversation. I'm sure Tony doesn't remember this because it was just such a, a throwaway moment for him. But for me, it was like my one light bulb moment in my whole life. And I kind of said like, wow, you know, we had a good year and it seemed like whenever we had someone resigning or if we had to make a sudden termination or, you know, end someone's time with us, we always had someone great or multiple people great ready to take over. And I, I, I think I even said out loud, boy, somebody could do this for smaller companies and probably make a difference. I wonder if that's an idea. And within, I think, about four months, I'd come up with a basic model of this. And I started helping out um, companies out in California. So when I was done with my HR job uh, with Windy City, I would take the train home and I would you know, do interviews for people in California for a few hours every night. And then by November of 2019, there was enough going on. There was enough uh, demand for the service. And I saw that there was enough legs on this that it would be um, a disservice to this idea to not make this my full effort. So uh, I mean, I cried on my last day at Windy City. I loved it. So, you know, it was a bummer to leave. I owed it to this idea to see this through. So that is really cool. I mean, for one, that it's it's so much in your like passion wheelhouse of, of working with pets still. It's combining like the greatness of both sides of what you did, along with being present enough to the market to realize that there was a need there and taking that leap. It's a huge leap. I always encourage you know the listeners to look for those market opportunities. I um, one of my favorite movies is Robots. Of course, you've got a a, a little one. I don't know if Eloise has watched Robots yet. I don't I think I know what Robots that. is. is that um, new? <laughs> no, you've got, it's it's got Robin Williams in it. Um, it's a cartoon, um, and it's just it's it's super cute. But one of the things in there, my my general manager and I absolutely love this part. There's the character called Big Weld and he's the one that has all the ideas and kind of holds the entire town together. And, and his motto is see a need, fill a need. So we actually have the graphic, um, we'll see a need, fill a need graphic in our office because we always try to be present to that too. 
And, um, and that's kind of, that's just that space that you filled. You, you saw it and clearly it's turned into, um, you know, I mean, an entire like market segment. You, you have how many recruiters now that work with you? So we have uh, four recruiters that work with me, but we're very fortunate. We're actually, we just brought on a fifth person this week and then a sixth person will start next week. Um, just because I believe at this point, it's my mission to help the clients and help people also on board. And I can't do that properly if I'm doing all the interviews. So, um, yeah. So, Always be hiring. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the goal in the, the team I have is really interesting because I really don't want to hire people who are professional recruiters. We do have a person here that did was a professional recruiter uh, previously, but everyone here typically has worked as a phenomenal dog walker, pet sitter. Um, we have someone here that has uh, been a vet technician. Um, and we also have a person here who owns their own ranch and they hire ranch hands, but in their previous life, uh, they also were a recruiter for like uh, sprint and stuff like that. And MCI back in the nineties. So yeah, um, it's a, it's a diverse team. I'm really, really proud of them and, and I'm very fortunate to have them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting group and it's nice. Cause it, I, I really believe if you have a diverse recruiting team, you, it, there's benefits to that too. So you want to have different, you don't want to have always the same person to, you know, express every opinion if you can. Um, so it's, uh, it's been fun. It's fun. That's the, that's the good thing. I actually like, I actually look forward to work. <laughs> well, that's always a good thing, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, your, your NAPS presentation was talking about creating your dream team. So of course you have to practice what you preach, right? Yeah. I'm really, I'm very fortunate. Um, I, I can't thank my team enough for what they do for me. And I also have a HR generalist, uh, Ed. Ed's great. Um, he was previously one of the top people uh, in um, compliance for the Chicago Board of Trade. Um, so if there's anyone that's going to be able to you know, catch someone who's uh, providing a fraudulent reference uh, or has a resume that's like, you know, not actually true, it would be Ed. Um, oh. Yeah. So it's great that, you know, after they, you know, after someone passes the interview, um, we really get, you know, pretty deep into obtaining references, making sure that they're true, um, reviewing their resume, making sure that the work history is actually accurate. And everyone uh, on that resume would say that this person is eligible for rehire if they're able to share that information. And uh, yeah, so Ed's also really, I mean, the amount of time I'm able to save by not making those calls anymore because Ed's here, um, that really frees me up to work on bigger picture stuff. That's awesome. The visionary. Obviously, you're the visionary. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, I guess, you know, here's here's a big question. Two sides of the coin of of what you do, because we have so much variation in our industry. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, you said you, you spent 11 years being a dog walker yourself. Were you an independent contractor? Were you an employee? Yeah. Can you help people with both? Yeah, no, happy to help people with both. Um, as a dog walker, I worked as an independent contractor. As a member of the management team there, the leadership team, I was an employee. Uh, we're able to recruit for both. Okay. So you've seen both sides of the coin and kind of what's necessary in both for compliance purposes. Yeah. And there's pros and cons to both. I, I do believe that when you're working from the recruiting perspective, we always prefer, if possible, employment because you want to limit how much explaining you need to do. 
when you're selling the job, I would dare say it is easier to sell when it's employment, especially if no one's there, if, if that person has not worked as a contractor before. If they've worked as a contractor before, that's fantastic because now that we don't need to explain what that relationship is. Um, so it's not that the one is better or worse, but if you are recruiting contractors, you just need to know how to explain it. So if someone doesn't even know what that is, it's not uh, kind of like a foreign, scary concept, you know. And you um, you can help people like through that process, because I know yeah. there are so many solos that I mean, I I, I preach employees. Yeah, uh, I've seen very few business models where they can use contractors legally. I mean, because you have both sides of the coin, you can kind of help them with the yeah. compliance aspect. I mean, are you like if you have someone that has ICs or you you know, are you helping gather documentation of like, okay, here's their business insurance. Here's, you know, we, so we don't do that. Yeah. We don't, we oh, don't okay. do like, so you leave it to them. Okay. It, yeah. So when it comes to the actual job offer, it's still the client's responsibility to make sure that they're, they're keeping everything compliant. Compliant. We can, okay. we can make sure that the wording of questions and the wording of the job post is in compliance. Um, because we want to make sure that at no point with a contractor position that we are alluding to or denoting employment. Yes. Um, you know, and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I've seen some of my clients use the phrase employment or provide uh, uniforms or mm -hmm. use the phrase training or provide a training manual. Hey, uniforms, training, training, manual, those are all great things, but you can't do those with contractors. So mm -hmm. I, I've actually kind of warned a couple of my clients in the past, like, hey, we, we need to change the wording of this, or we need to change, you know, you, you can't quiz people or test people. I mean, when you hire a contractor, you're hiring them under the belief that they have that professional experience and skill that in theory, you could uh, you could ask them to do work for you, as, but you're really subbing out that work. Um, you know, you can't, the same way a, a contractor, you know, would sub out a carpenter they're not going to teach the carpenter how to do, <laughs> do the work. Or a, or a plumber to replace your toilet. Plumber, right? Yeah. You're going to go in there over that plumber's shoulder and say, I don't really think that you have the wax seal in yeah, the right place. Really I prefer it a quarter an inch to the left. Oh, boy. So, yeah. I mean, they're both great. Uh, but it, it, you have to be very careful when you're hiring contractors. And, Got it. Yeah. Got it. Well, you know, I, one of the things that I, I mean, regardless of where, whether you have contractors, or employees, um, I'm a big reader. I don't know if you've listened enough to my podcast to know that, you know, I read like a fiend between that and an audible. I listen to tons of audible. Also, I usually have like five books going at once, but one That's of my cool. total favorite references is uh, Jim Collins and his book, Good to Great. I don't know if you're a reader. Have you ever read that one before? I, you no, know, I, we were, before the podcast, we were talking about turning off your brain and I, yeah. I, I need to learn, I need to read more. Uh, you know, it's not, I'm all ears, but yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah. I'll hook you up, man. I've got a yeah. list of like my favorite 50 books and Good to Great is on there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Reason I bring that up. It's, it's really it's pretty incredible because he's like looking at some of the big companies and transitions and uh, yeah. the big companies who failed, who succeeded and a lot of the reasons why. Mm -hmm. And, and he really references the the concept of your business being a bus. And there's like two real perspectives to look at, making sure you have the right people on the bus and making mm -hmm. sure that they are in the right seats of the bus. Oh, I love that. And yeah. Isn't that great? So, yeah. you know, I always talk about your business bus and you know, I mean, it's not like, 
you can have the right people on the bus, but as you evolve in your business, you can realize, hey, you really need to be over in this seat. Um, and so the one you're in, and it's not like a, you, you, you know, you're not skilled or anything like that. It's just we yeah. need to figure out how your passion and your purpose and your skill set fits on our bus. Yeah. So I've had to make a lot of transitions. And, you know, my team knows I use that reference all the time. My membership knows I use that reference all the time. But um, I mean, what do you do you coach people on that kind of concept of making sure that they have the right people and making sure that they're kind of, uh, you know, designing positions, especially with a growing team? So some of my clients are uh, pretty well established. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of clients that, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a young guy, but I've got a couple of clients. That are like, <laughs> okay. They, you look like it. You're younger than me. <laughs> well, they, they started, I mean, they started their businesses while I, before I was even in high school. So I, I might ask, you know, how things are organized. We need to know some of those questions. The way I look at it is um, the NFL draft. It's a thing where a lot of times teams will draft the person that they need quarterback. They're just going to draft the best quarterback they can get a hold of, right? Uh, but I find that, the, or I used to find, I'm not sure if it's still this way, the best teams, they will draft the best person available. So even if they've got a great running back, if the best person in the draft available right now is a running back, they will draft a running back. And I'm kind of a, under the belief that we always try to hire for um, attitude and not skill. So if we bring somebody in through the pipeline and I'm like, oh, wow, this person's really great for X, Y, and Z reason. And maybe on paper, they've never worked with dogs professionally before, uh, or maybe they've never even volunteered with dogs or you know, worked with cats. I might tell the client, like, hey, we really need to make this person a priority. Or, hey, have you, have you contacted you know, this candidate ABC yet? Because I kind of know when some of them are going to go faster than others. And um, so I will encourage them, if I see someone really great, like, hey, maybe there's a way we can find a way to get this person in um, on any level, you know, we could even see if they're, they're open to building our dog walking route rather than coming in to replace someone. Because when you have someone really great, um, it could totally change not just the, the whole company, but the dynamic of the team, you know, you want the attitude positive, you, want, you don't want to bring someone in that's going to be, um, you know, a, a negative influence with the rest of the team, even if the team interactions in the world of dog walking and pet sitting are minimal. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely give them advice on who's going to go faster than others. Let's make a spot for this person if they're good. Um, and if someone's really new to the business, um, you know, I might ask how things are organized. I might, um, a good example would be like, it's little things too. Like I have a client right now who requires COVID vaccination and, um, you know, not to discuss the politics of that or the medical aspect of that. I just simply let them know that out of all of my clients, I think only one other them, one other client is currently requiring COVID vaccination. And we ask a question through our questionnaire, um, you know, where it's basically, are you vaccinated or not? And if you're not, they don't know that they're being removed, but we have to remove them per the client's request. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we knock out a lot of people who have legs. Like we have people that could have probably gotten into the, you know, the, the pipeline and possibly been hired. So I let the client know, hey, just so you know, like I'm more than happy to ask this question in the questionnaire on your behalf. But when you do this, you should know that we're, we're, we're I'm expecting us to miss out on opportunities, you know. So we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what is a knockout? What are things that we won't budge? You know, um, I mean, some companies, you need to have a car. It's not a flexible thing. Whereas other companies, like, do you really need someone who 
is COVID vaccinated? Do we need? Do we really need someone who need who comes into the the team with two years of professional or volunteer experience? You kind of have to pick and choose your battles. And the more things that you say are required, the more things that you are saying are a knockout question. You could essentially eliminate your entire candidate pool before an interview is even um, offered. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's like a weird balance. I mean, you, you have to have standards. You have to have things that are knockouts, but you can't have so many that. Um, you're removing people who, I hate to say it, could lead to safe, profitable walks. That's really what I'm looking for, safe, profitable services. Joe, you are my hiring soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always I always tell people, um, because I hear a lot, it's like, oh, yeah, I do require that previous experience. Mm. And, and, and that really is the old IC mentality. Yeah. Uh, and I hire for attitude, not aptitude. Ooh, I like that. That's even better than skill. <laughs> like, yeah, that's better. Got the alliteration going in there, right? Yeah. I'm big on that. So, um, no, I did not coin that expression. I, I heard it somewhere. Like I said, I study a lot. Yeah, yeah. And and that just really resonated with me because I would much rather have an amazing, passionate pet lover that wants to do things correctly and is coachable and is a positive impact on our team culture, which is priority to me Yeah. and someone who comes in who potentially has two years of experience, but it's the wrong experience or they come in with the attitude that I know more than you do. And I'm going to do it my way because nobody does it their own way. They do it my way because they're my employees. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a way that I've perfected now for 26 years, which I hate to say, how old were you when I started my business in 1997? I was I was a sophomore in high school. That's that's why that's why. Um, I mean, I could tell you my thoughts, but I have no ego about it. You know, every business is going to run their own way. And like, who am I to say how you should run your business? I'm a cog in the system. I so that's how I look at it. You know, I could help solve this one thing, but I'm not going to ever come into someone's business and say you're doing X, Y, and Z wrong because the new modern you know, cool thing to do is do X, Y, and Z. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's amazing that, uh, yeah. Exactly. I, mean, oh. I, I was working as a dishwasher when, when, I, when you started your business, cause I was saving up for my first car. So there you go. Well, okay. I will say I was young when I started, I like, yeah. I started my business on my 23rd birthday. Wow. Yeah. I say, you know, July 1st, it was my official like opening date because I did my first visit was like a week long cat over that Fourth of July weekend. So, not knowing exactly what my first first day was, that's that's what I put it on because you know it was that long ago, right? Did you have any idea when you were doing that first cat sit that twenty six years later <laughs> that I'd be here doing all of this? Heck no! You've got to yeah. be kidding me! Uh, I was doing it because like I didn't have a job at that point. Yeah, and you so, loved, obviously you loved animals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to be a vet and I was working at vet clinics and, you know, there was just all of that going on. So I had the knowledge and would have never thought that because like it was not a thing really in St. Louis. There were a couple of businesses, but yeah, I mean, like uh, I know of a few businesses that started around like 92, 96, but yeah, 97. Those were East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. So, you know, some of these businesses have been around for so long that um, not that you can't pivot or change a small business that's been established, but like there's a reason why they've been around for decades. So mm-hmm. you can't just come in like a 
you know, a bowl and just say, this is how the things are done. Um, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. We, we got, we got some history, you know, I, God, we, we had something else that happened this past week um, in the team. Cause I meet with my team on Thursdays, uh, all my managers and, and something had happened and we're like, all right, we need to change that in our SOP. And, you know, I just, we, we go back and forth. It's like, damn, I thought after 26 years, I would know everything, but nope, something yeah. always new comes up. But that's, that's what's so cool about this. It's, it's ever changing, keeping up with the market, keeping up with technology, keeping up with, gosh, I mean, you know, the, the huge transitions and just the way we take care of pets and what's possible. Yeah. It's always ever evolving, you know, yeah, I love um, it. Yeah, it, it, it's nice. If it was the same thing for, for 40 years or something and there was no challenge, what what would your professional life be without challenge? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like it would just be then – it, then it becomes work. Uh-huh. You know, then it becomes – I know. God, you know, people are like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I know what I do for a passion. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a J-O-B. I don't ever get out of bed in the morning and think, oh, God, I got to go to work. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, as, a, as a dog walker in Chicago, there would be some cold days where it's like, oh, I, oh, I, wouldn't, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't be upset if I had two less visits today. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, now that it's over and I'm not walking dogs professionally anymore, I really miss it, you know. So, that I mean, that says a lot about the management of where I used to work mm-hmm. and how things were set up. The fact that, you know, it's been years since I've walked a dog professionally and I, and I would do it for free now, you know what I mean? So, um I mean, I, I love my two dogs, but they're two knuckleheads. I'd like to walk. It's kind of like being a valet driver at like a nice restaurant. You get to try out all the cool breeds, dogs <laughs> you never own. Do you know what I mean? Like I would never own a Bernice Mountain Dog, but I would love to walk one again, you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny because we um, – I don't – I don't – I'm not involved in the day-to-day anymore. And one of our clients like two weeks ago um, had a, a litter of puppies. And – you know, most of my managers don't do any of the visits anymore, or if they do, it's just on occasion. Oh, we were yeah. all fighting in the office. Oh, I'll take the next visit. Yeah. So I actually, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I went out and I'm like, I'm going to get myself some chunky puppy love. So, mm. you know, I hijacked that visit from that normal person who would take care of them. So, so yeah, now we've got these cute little babies that are squeaking and chewing on each other and stumbling around. Oh my God. Yes, puppies. puppies are great till they hit three to four weeks and then they're a complete mess. Wow. So, <laughs> so much fun. Uh, you have that history that you mentioned of doing the, the recruiting as um, Wendy said he was growing yeah. uh, up to you said it was about 45. It was about 45 when I left. Um, and um, I'm fortunate that this is a lot about someone as a manager that like I, uh, I, I cherish my little interactions with Tony uh, post post leaving, and I, uh, I I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say how many people they have there now, but they have more people. So even after the pandemic, they're continuing to grow. So yeah, um, and Chicago was a market that God, I don't even know if it's totally bounced back yet. It was one of the slower markets to bounce back, especially on the dog walking. Which yeah, I know so many businesses that listen have had that struggle also. Yeah, I mean. This is just me from the outside looking in, but I really love, um, so like I was, uh, you know, I was involved with the industry, obviously when the pandemic happened and um, for a variety of reasons, many businesses were struggling. A lot of companies 
we're seeing cancellations. I think not just because not because the clients were worried about their finances, but I think people were worried about the the medical aspect of what was going on. You know, someone going to you know bring COVID into the home. Totally sure. Yeah, there was yeah, just so we, much unknown. Exactly, so much unknown. But I felt like um, the problem is that now that we're I think um, out of the you know, the emergency aspect of the pandemic. I can't remember the, the actual term that the government used when they ended some of the, you know, rules and laws and stuff like that. But the problem is that a lot of people are still working from home. And my fear is that sometimes clients and clients, um, you know, the owners of these animals, they have devalued in a way private dog walking, which I think is ridiculous because private dog walking offers so much enrichment and engagement taking your dog out to your backyard or taking your dog for a five minute walk between zooms when you're working from home, that's not what your dog really needs. A lot of companies have transitioned into doing things like adventure walks, but at the least I, you know, try to encourage people to just change their messaging yeah. uh, go back and, and work on your website, work on your materials, start, you know, using the um, enrichment adventure, yeah, enrichment. Um, really, really touch on them that like, they're not able, that there is something you can provide that they can't. Definitely. Private walks can be totally uh, high value if you convey the message that it's not about just getting your dog out to go to the bathroom. It's about enrichment, mm -hmm. the, the social interactions. Because like I said, not every dog is meant to do a group walk. Um, and then, of course, with group walks, now you have hiring group walk um, dog walker challenges because those, you know, I've seen really great candidates remove themselves from the process because they're concerned about walking dogs off leash or walking dogs mm -hmm. in a natural environment. Um, you know, I've seen people struggle with the concept of, okay, I can manage one dog, but now you're asking me to manage three dogs in a, in a you know, maybe an urban environment. Um, you know, so it's, you definitely have new recruiting challenges when you start to perform group walks, even if they're like a smaller group on leash. So there's this, definitely a balance there of, you know, what you, I mean, because you're going to have a smaller candidate pool that's comfortable doing doing that type of work for sure. But yeah, yeah. I think above all else, you're totally right. It's all about enrichment and doing mm -hmm. something special for that dog if it's in the group or if it's in a private setting. Yeah. Um, as, as businesses are having some of these challenges right now, like you said, I mean, the you can always reduce the labor pool yourself because of your knockout questions and, and the mm -hmm. way you do your services. But I mean, there already is such a squeeze, some areas more than others. Um, we here in St. Louis, we are not having hiring issues. We're finding incredible candidates and they are plentiful, which is wonderful. But, um, you know, I've been talking to people in other areas and I just, I don't understand the dynamics in different areas and how it could be such a, Darth of uh, of having any decent candidates, uh, like people are fighting over them now. Yeah. Um, but whenever I really talk to people, because I'm a big planner, so you know, if when I do my strategy weeks and then my membership, I'm always talking about planning ahead, looking forward, having that one year plan, breaking it down. And and I know one of the things that you had mentioned in your presentation at, at Naps was talking about really strategizing your employee structure and um, setting your staffing goals. You know, yeah. I always people like, cause so many people right now are running at a deficit mm -hmm. and, and you know, you really have to stop and think, okay, how much of a deficit am I at for my current, uh, current needs, pet care needs? 
so many people are having to completely turn away business. That's just like <laughs> mind boggling to yeah. me that they're turning away so much business and they can't really make growth plans because you've got a deficit. You're turning away business. You can't totally cover what you have right now, or you're so skinny that like, if anything happens and somebody calls in, I'm out in the field again. Yeah. And so they can't really even plan for growth because like if you're planning for 30 percent growth and you're already running at a deficit of staff, you've got to make up for your deficit and you have to have 30 percent more staff on top of that. So um, have you seen a lot of that? I mean, you're talking to people all over the country. Yeah. So what, I mean, what are the dynamics? Do you think they're going to free up in other areas? I, You know, it's funny. I for what I heard your podcast about I believe the title of the episode was America's labor crisis America's labor crisis did you listen to that one unbelievable I I just... it was great it was great the statistics that you provided were like I'm not surprised I'm not surprised so mm -hmm. um, well, did you go back and actually listen to the actual live cast I'm, I've listened to some of it I haven't listened okay. to all of it yeah yeah because I mean I I was listening to it and it, like seriously I thought it was a laser beam on us that's why I was like I have to talk about this because like here's how this is affecting our industry and you know I mean they're not even thinking about the gig economy as they're up there on the stage and yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. whoa <laughs> it's tricky too because I mean like I've read all these articles about that young millennials and the generation younger than them, they are very much motivated by the mission of companies. But then of course, then you read articles from like LinkedIn and LinkedIn will tell you that when you're writing a job post, the number one thing that you should be focusing on is kind of like the compensation, the core responsibilities. Company mission is something that based on the information they have, based on surveys, company mission and goals like that's one of the sadly one of the last things that people will scan through because job posts now ideally your job posts are like three to four hundred words you know never really exceeding 500 because once once you get past that that point it's a pretty long read and you only have about four minutes to convert someone from viewer to applicant wow yeah it's, it's, stat. it's yeah it's brutal you know and then you can only really count on about four percent of your people viewing your job posts to actually apply. So for every hundred people that looks at your job post in a, in a regular scenario, four of those people will actually apply. And the thought is that the easier you make the application, so the easier it is to skim through because people don't always really read the job post. They're skimming it. You know, more, more bullet points, the more defined the different sections are. Really you, clean. Yeah, yeah, very clean. When you write a job post, like it's a paragraph, that's a hard job post for people to skim and they might sadly get discouraged, which is crazy because if you really motivate to work with animals, you know, you're going to read a 20 minute job post. Yeah. So it's tough. Um, as far as, you know, the different markets and kind of when things might open up, you know, I joke, like I said, Ed was uh, worked at the board of trade for like 30 years. You know, he, he's very attuned to the market and all of these things. And I always joke and say, Hey, if there really was a recession, we'll be the first to know because we're the ones that are constantly looking at all the applications and candidates every day. Um, you know, on the West Coast, I have seen a lot of people apply who worked in tech that have been laid off, which is heartbreaking. But then again, you know that as soon as that market comes back up, which you know it will, I hate to say it, many of those candidates are no longer really going to be interested in a 20 to 30 hour a week dog walking and pet sitting job because they need to make time for their 40 to 50 hour a week salaried position in tech. Um, you know, and 
Yeah, it's it's tough. Every market has its own challenges. Um, some markets over the last two years have had really high gas prices. Like I remember in uh, Los Angeles, recruiting in Los Angeles, it's very difficult when you're recruiting in that neighborhood or that, that market rather, because gas prices are so incredibly high that you know you have to really explore like what, what, what can I do for these people? Do I have to reimburse them? You know, yeah. as contractors, how can I make the logistics of their travel shorter so they're spending less money on fuel? It's kind of like a, I find recruiting is kind of like a puzzle that's always evolving and you'll never always be able to solve every corner of the puzzle. Like you'll never have the whole thing put together, but you just have to constantly be making it the best picture that you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize there was still that much dynamic across the country with gas. When I was heading to Nashville, for the live stream, um, gas was three sixty nine in Illinois, which you know. Yeah. Um, and then I crossed into Kentucky, and the gas station right across the state line was two eighty eight. Wow! What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> big differences, you know. And um, I mean, uh, it's it's uh, it's a very it, the markets are couldn't be more different, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've seen some clients pay almost double what other clients are paying because of the market. I mean. And I, I do this thing. It's kind of like I jokingly call it. I've never I've never publicly called it this, but I call this. I do this thing called the McDonald's test. Mm-hmm. So I figure out what I mean. I hate to say it. I've never worked at McDonald's, but I did work as a dishwasher at a restaurant. That's a hard job. And um, McDonald's typically doesn't pay that much more than minimum wage, right? So what I do is I I look at what McDonald's is paying in the same area that my clients is are, are are they're servicing. And if McDonald's or Starbucks and places like that. If they're paying really close or above what you are starting your payoff at, you kind of have to figure out, okay, well, you're in a sense, you're competing with everyone looking at jobs in the restaurant industry, hospitality, um, you know, retail. We're all fighting for the same group of people because there's so few people in the labor market. And you have to ask yourself, is this person's love of animals going to be enough? For them to apply my business, even though I'm probably going to require them to use their own personal vehicle, because that's the thing. All those other jobs don't require you to use your personal vehicle to perform the work. So, um, you know, I think that that's a thing that every business should do. Do the McDonald's test. Don't really focus too much on what your competitors are paying. Focus more so on where these other where these candidates might be applying restaurants, hospitality retail, what do those other jobs pay? And if it's too close, you know, you could really get an edge if you just pay like 50 cents or a dollar more. I know it's tough because margins are tight in this industry. But, um, you know, I remember I had a client, we thought we had wage figured out. Applications were incredibly slow. And then we did like a little market research to figure out what their competitors were paying. They were paying about about two bucks more per hour on average. So um, it's a difficult thing to do. I'm not ever asking a client to just all of a sudden increase their rates of pay, but this owner was in a a good enough position, a fortunate enough position. They were able to increase the rates of pay. We posted those new rates on the job post, and then it made a significant difference in terms of the quantity and the quality of the applicants. Mm -hmm. But money's not always the, you know, that's not a silver bullet, but it is something you need to be aware of what, what other businesses are paying for similar type experience and educational level, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely a factor. And I, you know, I do the same thing. Um, I mean, I don't always reference McDonald's, but I say, yeah. So you need to figure out what fast food is, is paying, you know, yeah. and our is we've, we've got Aldi. So Aldi is usually like for what you do. It's a 
low cost grocery store. Do you have them in Chicago? Yeah, I love Aldi. Okay, yeah. I don't know if they're totally nationwide, but they got great flour. Uh, Aldi because they're tied to Trader Joe's, I think. They, yeah, yeah, they're both yeah. of them. Yeah, uh, and you know, I mean, they were like fourteen fifty, fifteen here or something like that. And our minimum wage is twelve. Um, but I usually tell people that and check and see what they're paying kennel assistants in your area and what they're oh, paying yeah. veterinary receptionists. Yeah. Those are some of the biggest ones. Your vet receptionists are usually going to be a little bit on the higher end. And then, you know, you have to build in your, your pricing with your profitability. Yeah. You can't just like, you know, cause you're supposed to stay all in with your labor expenses, 45 to 55% um, is supposed to be your cost of service. And I, gosh, I've found so many lately that, you know, we're a generous bunch, of course, because yeah. you know, what we do, it's a very personal thing. We love pets. We want to do the best for the pets, the best for the people and want to have amazing employees. And you can be too generous. I find a lot of people that have teams and they're struggling and they don't know, like, how the hell can I not pay my own bill Yeah, when I'm working my ass off all week? And when we sit down and do the night, Numbers, they're working for their employees yeah. because they're paying 65, 70, 75%. And of course there's nothing left over at that point, but honestly, who's taking the risk? Who has the investment? You should be compensated for the risk that you take being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's hard to consider that, but, but definitely, I mean, I feel like competition with, the, the compensation level that you give is, is, is a balance, like you said, because there is so much inherent in someone who's willing to look at a job with pets. Yes, There's true. a smidge of a trade-off. I mean, it's not, you, you can't pay them super low just because you get to work with pets. Uh, some parts of the industry, unfortunately, do pay that way. And people will take the pay cut to work with pets. But, you know, it, it is a balance. Um, we're weird. Two, <laughs> I, I, two, industry. <laughs> two quick notes and observations. Um, I love all your points. I think that you you were like totally spot on with all of that stuff there. Um, what, I have a client who encourages people to share their talents. So if you love photography, if you like writing, if you like web design, if you like marketing, there might be a way for that person's skills or uh, interest to help my client's business and you know um it, it it's a, a thing that they could set up you know where this person will be compensated to improve their skill set in let's say marketing and it, it, it's a beneficial relationship for both parties so that's always a thing that maybe trader joe's can't offer or a place like that you know they're not going to let someone run marketing but the other thing i will say just as a weird observation because we, we do so many interviews you know trader joe's does not pay, let's say, what you'd make uh, if you were an executive or, you know, if you were um, whatever. You know, it's not necessarily the highest paying position. I don't think I've ever met anyone that spoke negatively about Trader Joe's, about their time working there. So what does that say about the company culture? You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I loved my 11 years at Windy City Dog Walkers. If I had not come up with Walker Scout, I guarantee you I would still be there, Right. And, um, and if it wasn't for when you see dog walkers, I would have never even been in the position to use my other skills from the recruiting company. So good culture, um, can make someone so devoted to a business, you know, like you just have to really foster that. Cause I mean, 
we've interviewed probably hundreds of people that have worked at Trader Joe's at some point or another over the last four years. And at least at least 50 or 100, honestly. That's and, so funny. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, Trader Joe's is kind of like this hippie mentality. Whenever I go in there, we're looking for the monkeys that are hailing for, hanging from the ceiling because they hide Wait, for the kids. Do they have bulletin boards? Uh, bulletin boards? Do they have bulletin boards in Trader Joe's? The one that we I mean, if so, if that's a really great pool of candidates, people, you need to go put a flyer on Trader Joe bulletin yeah. boards. You know, it's funny. I have I've had clients tell me like, "Oh, you know, I'm really too busy to put up bulletin or you know, flyers or whatever." It's like, man, flyers are great because if you could put up a flyer at like a dog park, not that you're looking for new clients, but looking for new candidates, mm-hmm. like you might strike gold. You know, maybe someone is like, "Oh, I've always wanted to work with dogs," or you might even be like a disgruntled dog walker. You know, working for company Z, and oh, now that's funny. <laughs> yeah. But it's also good advertising because if I was if I was looking at a flyer and I saw that some company is hiring, to me that's telling me their business is in growth. If the if they're looking for clients, that tells me that this is a business that needs to to obtain more business. But if I see that you're hiring, you already have the business, probably probably because you're a good company. Ooh, so psychological twist there, right? That's how I think, you know. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. So you know, whenever you can try and put up flyers, you know, and if you work with employees that, that uniform t-shirt or whatever you're going to give them that polo or that, that hoodie, you know, put your logo all over that thing and make it easy for people to apply. You know, it should be, you go to your website. It should be just as easy to apply at that company than it is to inquire for service. Like you, it's, it's, it's all about um, valuing the candidate. You know, you should value a really great candidate at like 10 times to one of a good client because they're going to, they're going to bring revenue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned kind of making it easy for people. That's, that's one of the trends that I still see in the industry that is honestly pretty archaic, making people jump through hoops to apply because, Oh, only the serious people are the ones that you want to talk to. So we're going to make you mail stuff back and forth or, um, or, you know, you have to uh, submit uh, video interviews or yeah. you know, whatever it is. I mean, that's a, a lot of hoops to jump. Do you still see some people that are doing that? Oh yeah. And, and are you seeing that like, especially if you're in a real, um, kind of collapsed market, labor market right now. Um, what what are the suggestions you're giving to your clients? So, so not everyone always agrees with this, but it's kind of like um, it's like watching a Rocky movie, right? So this is like we're in, imagine we're Rocky three, and and Mr. T is just beating up Rocky so bad. That's where we are in the labor market. The applicants or the lack of them, they're beating us into submission. We can't ask for homework. We can't ask for quizzes. We can't ask for any of that stuff because by the time they finish that stuff, if they finish it, they've already been offered other jobs at other places. Home Depot does not ask you to do all this homework. You can you can interview at Home Depot and be working. I think like within like a day or two, and they're you know some companies are paying like the next day you work. Like oh, if you work on Tuesday, we're gonna pay you Wednesday. It's crazy. So I know it sounds mad, but we have to try our best to speed up the process and just trust that you're your your questionnaire in an application your interview and your work history verifications and your references are in your background check your criminal background check that has to be strong enough that you could go without quizzes and um in surveys and stuff like that at some point it's gonna be the end of rocky three where rocky's beating up mr t and then we can start asking for those things again because the labor market will be um you know back to where it used to be maybe mm-hmm. in five years you know, but 
until the labor market and has returned to where it should be in terms of volume of people actually looking for work, you put up a good, you had a good point in that podcast about the American labor crisis where our unemployment rate is really low, but there's millions of people not looking for work at all. And until we have more people actually looking for work, we can't ask people to do extra homework because our competitors, not just dog walking and pet sitting companies, but restaurants, hospitality, retail, they're not having people do that. So, well, and the gig, uh, the gig economy, it's a low barrier to entry. Like, oh, hey, just sign up and you can go out and pick up some money. Yeah. So I, I mean, everyone, everyone has their own opinion. And everyone, yeah. there's, there's a positive, there's a positive point to every opinion, but my belief is that I want to be able to see someone go from applicant on Monday, interview them on Tuesday, maybe a review day on Wednesday for the client and start the work history and reference process. And then by Thursday, in theory, they should be able to receive a call from management or the business owner with a verbal job offer that leads to the DocuSign. And the thought is we're still probably processing background checks or work history verifications or obtaining professional references. You just make the job offer contingent on all of those things being clear. So if we discover all of a sudden a problem with your work history and it's fraudulent or a problem with your background check and there's a concern there that we can't move forward for maybe an insurance reason, you need to have that written in your employment agreement that you have the right to revoke that opportunity maybe during like a probationary period, like a training period. But um, yeah, it's kind of a situation where we need to move fast because all of these other industries are moving faster than us and we're, we're missing out on really great people because we're giving people extra work to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, God, I loved, I loved all of that. Totally. And, and I, <laughs> Thank you. again, like, um, I think my market's different. Mine has opened up a lot. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I can think of a friend that, uh, it was just, um, we were on the forum together and she's, um, she had a, a candidate that was offered a position by someone else locally who could move faster than her. And so she was looking at like, she actually contacted him and said, you know, I, yeah, I'm trying to like, here's a hiring bonus situation to try mm. to re-engage him in the conversation, um, right on the front end. And, I, I mean, I hate to think that some markets are in that position, but they are. Um, and so in those cases, are you, are you, well, I mean, of course, there's what you're recommending to people and there's what you're able to do through Walker Scout. So, I mean, are you really able to take people through that entire candidates, through that entire transition for your clients in that three to four day time period? So I, yeah, I mean, we can get, we can get people to the point where, um, I mean, if they apply on Monday, we're probably going to catch their application on Monday, invite them on Monday. We um, don't allow candidates to interview with less than 24 hours notice because we don't want to have a lot of surprises for our recruiting team. Um, you don't want to find out you think you have an afternoon clear and all of a sudden there's oh. a person waiting in the Zoom. So we do have uh, the fastest you could ever really interview is 24 hours from the point you receive the invite. But um, yeah, it's totally feasible. You could interview by Tuesday. And by Wednesday, we're and we we ask for professional references at the invite. So, um, by the time you interview, in some cases, you might already have some of your professional references submitted, um, because we don't want to have that be the delay. We don't want that to be the reason why we 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 couldn't move forward and hire you. Um, but yeah, it's totally feasible to get there by Thursday. The only thing we can't do is we can't obviously make the decision for the client. It's still ultimately up to them. Because they have to make sure it's a good cultural fit. We're working with this person for maybe a week. They're working with that person for maybe two years. You know, so 
Um, we have to make yeah. sure it's good for them. Um, but we really do preach speed. And I think it's great that St. Louis, you you are seeing more candidates. And that's when you can kind of, now you're, now you're punching back. Now you can start doing cool things like Orion surveys and maybe um, a quiz before they, you know, get, get deeper into it. Do they actually know what a gentle leader is? Do they know... What a prong, like, I mean, do they actually know something about handling animals? Um, or if you attitude, do, not yeah. attitude, we train yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, we're, we're looking for just like the rock star people that fit the right. Uh, for, for a period of time, we had management team doing disc profiles before they got hired, but we've never done any other kind of profiles like that. Yeah, so we're just we've just nailed the model that we need for this area. That's beautiful. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes we totally screw it up. Don't think we get it right <laughs> every time. You know, my GM's been with me now for five years and we've got stories. Awesome. I mean, we'll start, we'll start totally snickering over it because, oh, you remember that person? Oh God. Yeah. Cause like one of us will feel bad for somebody and keep them on longer than we should. Yeah. Um, you know, we're starting to like learn those signals from each other in the interview. Like, Oh boy. <laughs> so now whenever we like talk about hiring candidates, there are four of us that talk about it. Ooh, that's really good. That's and good. So, you know, that's like you, you get to that point where everybody comes with their prior experience in different aspects of the business. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we still get it wrong occasionally. It's less frequently now though. But a diverse team, you know, could recruit a diverse team. And you kind of act as like additional checks and balances on each other. Um, mm -hmm. It's a different world, but my wife works in pediatric uh, occupational therapy and different types of therapies. And when people would, when a new applicant would come into the clinic where she used to work, she's in education now, but um, they'd actually interview in a casual way with every therapist at the clinic because the, cl the, the therapists there were kind of making sure that, yes, this is the person that really should join our team, not just on a... Um, a philosophy level of how to, you know, care for children and treat these children. But again, cultural fit, attitude, they're kind of looking for all of those things. So. Yeah. And it's really important to define what you want your business's culture to be. Yeah. Because whether you're intentional or not, you have a culture. Yeah. No, I totally <laughs> agree. Um, I mean, and this kind of goes back to the Trader Joe's thing, you know, like you want people to look back at their time fondly, especially because like, you know, you got Indeed, Indeed people can review your business on Indeed. Um, from an employee perspective, Glassdoor is a really cool website that none of the people take enough advantage of. And of course, Glassdoor is really built on the thought that someone's going to review their experience working for your business. So I hope you have, you know, you're hope you're inviting people who really loved it that have left. So now it's a safe invite to make because you're not working with them anymore. Nothing bad can happen in the relationship. So inviting your former employees to review on Glassdoor or indeed is a really smart move. Oh, Glassdoor or Indeed. Okay. Yeah. I've never looked at those very much. I should probably look in there and see if I already have any reviews, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody I mean, needs to look their business up. It, 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 what's tough, too, is it's kind of like Yelp and Google where someone could put a, a, a fraudulent review and you don't want to get in a public debate with them. But all you could really do if someone gives you a bad review, fraudulent or not, uh, you got to squash it with positive reviews, you know, so just keep your average up and move that bad review further and further down the line. Um, it's tough, you know, because now we're not just trying to make our uh, businesses look good from a consumer perspective, but also from an employer perspective or from a, you know, contracting perspective. It's, it's, it's tough. You got to manage both. 
Yeah. And I know you said um, in your presentation about really enhancing your post and, and you've said it actually a couple of times in this interview, how, um, how the prevalence of really bringing to the forefront your DEI policy, diversity yeah. and inclusion policies and how that is, um, I don't know, transformative to your, your culture if that is forward facing. Yeah, um, it's funny because we don't have one here. We have a diverse team, but we, we need to adopt one uh, <laughs> um, that we have like a bigger team. Um, yeah, June is Pride Month, and um, I'm not sure when this episode will be released, but um, we're going to make an announcement uh, soon that we're offering uh, to work with my recruiter, Hannah, who helps uh, our clients write diversity, equity, and inclusion statements for free. Uh, we believe everyone should have one. Um, and a recent client of mine just wrote a diversity, equity, inclusion statement that I was like, oh, wow, I never really even thought of it from that perspective. So it could really go in different ways. Um, you know, your definition of diversity is going to be different than someone else's. So it's something that we would encourage because you just want to, just on an ethical level, it's the right thing to do. But also at a business level, you want to widen that funnel of people interested in your business as much as possible. And having a diversity, equity, inclusion statement does that. It's both, you know, ethically the right thing to do to welcome everyone to apply and show interest in your business, but it's also smart business to to do that. Um, yeah, so June is uh, Pride Month, and I hope, we hope that everyone's going to uh, take Walker Scott up on the offer of meeting with Hannah um, through a phone call that could run anywhere from like you know twenty to sixty minutes, and it's kind of like a workshop, you know. And if it doesn't lead to DEI, that's okay, but hopefully it leads to uh, the building blocks for one. And uh, yeah, I really, I really believe strongly in those. Yeah. So now is that, is that just for your clients that you're doing? No, it's for everybody. Yeah. I want everyone to, I mean, the industry needs to look at recruiting differently. Um, so I'm offering that up to everybody. Um, you know, you and, do a webinar on that. I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not the right person. So I'm not involved in helping that workshop. That's all oh. Hannah. Yeah. She's all um, good. Okay. Well, I'm just telling her, you know, work smarter, not harder. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's something true. great. Yeah. To have everybody come to, it's wonderful that she's offering herself up to do that on a one-to-one -one basis. And I don't know how much of coming up with that kind of, um, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, each business comes up with their own individual that they're comfortable with. Yeah. They're very I different. Don't know, I don't know how much of that has to be on a one-to-one -one basis, but um, that's pretty amazing. Um, so yes, everyone, there is going to be a link down here of, of how you can uh, possibly uh, get the get the team over there to, to help you out if that's something you want to do. Yeah. And that is timely. Yeah, yeah it's true. Uh, I guess if, if I may add one more thing, and again, this is not a sales pitch or whatever, um, the industry doesn't have a job board that's free. Uh, I've kind of discovered that we don't have our own pet care industry job board. Um, in a few weeks, we launched a few weeks ago, we launched walkerscoutjobs.com, which is a uh, job board solely for pet care providers, pet sitters, dog walkers, doggy daycare work. Um, you know, maybe eventually we start doing work with like trainers and groomers and stuff like that. But I want to have a board that's free that syndicates to Google Jobs. Um, but walkerscout.com had thousands of users come to our site, unique users last year. And we're actually tracking more this year. Um, so it's like one click away. So if you're at the Walker Scout website, you click on job board, it takes you to Walker Scout jobs. And the hope is that we're going to have 
you know, the industry's best opportunities. Um, we are going to limit the amount of non-client um, companies on the, the board. Um, and it's, it's kind of like invite only, but anyone that is interested in exploring a totally free post, uh, you know, cause we're not, you know, we make our money from recruiting. We don't need to make money from monetizing the job boards. So, um, anyone that's interested in, in getting out there and getting a little bit more visibility for their opportunities, um, you know, they could schedule a call to meet with me. And then, you know, once I know more about their business and make sure that it's kind of like the right fit for the board, They'll have uh, the opportunity to create a profile, and then it's up to them to manage their post. Um, but they can request it if they want. One of the recruiters will review their post and kind of like do like a self-test, like a test to see how long it takes. Because like I said, we only really have four minutes to convert someone from viewer to applicant. So, um, yeah, if you want to have a recruiter from our team do like a test run to see how it goes, they'd be more than happy or, you know, I'd be more than happy to, to take a look at and see what we kind of discover. But that's something I want to do. It's all the big points, right? Yeah. Th that's something that's really important to me, though. We need to really get, uh, I mean, when I was a manager at Windy City, we had the most diverse team and we didn't have, I didn't know the diversity, equity, inclusion statement even was, you know, we didn't really think about diversity. Um, I was just kind of thinking who's going to do the safest walks and be reliable and I hate to say it, profitable. I just want safety, reliability, and profitability for my for my staff. And um, it ended up being a very diverse team. And um, we just want everyone to be able to celebrate that. And at the same time, like, we need to have a job board for us. We need a job board that doesn't cost us money. And we need to get on Google Jobs. Everybody needs to have a little bit more presence on Google Jobs. And um, they're not always doing it. I know a lot of people are frustrated with Indeed and the major job boards. So this could be a nice back end way of getting on Google jobs without having to involve, you know, indeed the mix. There you go. Yep. I hear a lot of frustration on those, on those boards. Yeah. I mean, I love indeed because I'd say 60% of our, like maybe about 80% of our job, 80% of our hires probably come from digital job boards. And I bet 60% of those people come from indeed. Um, and it could be even higher. So, I mean, like Indeed helps us, but um, the same way Wagon Rover helps us. I mean, Wagon Rover creates people that have been through like the school of hard knocks. They do it all on their own, um, you know, but I know um, they have reputations, those, those companies, but they produce fantastic applicants sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Indeed, it's, I, I get why people would be frustrated sometimes. So we just want to have something that's unique to us, the, the, the pet care industry. Cool. So Indeed free or Indeed paid? Um, well, I'm sorry, with Indeed. The, the free free ads are paid because that's like a whole nother thing I hear is people are like, oh, no, you have to do paid ads. So no. So all of my clients, um, and this is, we don't, I don't receive any commissions for this or whatever. We, I don't accept any commissions for anything. But all of my clients are on Jazz HR, which is an applicant tracking service. It's a website. And when you post an ad on Jazz HR, it syndicates to places like Glassdoor, uh, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, Google Jobs. Um, we we never. Uh, I don't really can't remember the last time we sponsored a post on Indeed. Okay. Um, yeah, there's other places I would recommend. Like if you are gonna sponsor a post, like if you have a, let's say a dog walker have an illness or injury, and all of a sudden they're you know not going to be on the schedule for weeks or months, and you have a and you were already tight on staff. There's smarter, better places to to um you know boost your ad essentially mm -hmm. um i'm not sure if you want me to share it i, I want to like make it a sales pitch thing because it's, 
<laughs> but um, job targets pretty good. Job targets the one that has been the best bang for the buck because they what they do is they they buy all this digital ad space, so they technically own it. And when you sponsor a job through job target, they do a micro blast. So like they'll put your ad up on all these job boards. They'll use kind of like an algorithm to figure out where you'll spend the least amount of money per click. Then they pull your ad from all the boards and they take the remaining budget and put it towards the one board where like, okay, this is where you're gonna get the most you know clicks per dollar. And it's pretty it works. Um, you know, so rather than dumping all of your money into Indeed, which is kind of like you know, a, 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 it's a notion that we're all in. We're all fighting for visibility on Indeed. So job is kind of nice because it's like, okay, yeah, Indeed might have more overall viewers, but guess what? Uh, you know, ZipRecruiter is where we're going to be able to get the most bang for the buck, at least at this time. And they'll they'll move it all automatically. It's pretty cool. Okay. Um, so it's almost know, like it does its own little algorithm split testing and then zones in on the yeah. and, which one's most effective. And when you use it more, the more you use it, I want to say the more effective it becomes and the, the less money they have to spend microblasting. And instead, they just kind of know what works for your company, your market, your job. Uh -huh. But, you know, hopefully, if you write a smart job post and you're syndicating that opportunity in enough places, you won't have to pay for a sponsorship. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you're telling your clients you're hiring, your staff you're hiring, the, the community you're hiring – you know, um, your your professional colleagues, like just, you know, tell your colleagues, hey, you know, if you guys get an applicant that could be good and you guys are fully staffed, will you let them know that we're hiring? You know, a little conversation like that can go a long way. And then you don't have to pay for the, the job posts. So mm -hmm. I'd much rather pay like my employees for bringing in awesome people. Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, why would someone ever, um, why would someone ever refer a, a person who's not capable? You know, like it's going to hurt your reputation at the business. So like, you, you know, when someone's referring you from your staff or your clients, like this person should have at least potential, you know? And yes. Yes. I've had clients tell me like, oh, I would never tell my clients I'm hiring because they're not going to apply at my job. You know, and it's like, well, it's not that we're not expecting them to apply, but they're going to know someone who loves animals, you know? That might and they know the expectation already. Exactly. Like, why would they refer someone that they didn't trust themselves? So, yeah. They're not going to refer their crazy cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, I'm not a Facebook user, but, like, some of my clients have incredible Facebook communities. And it's like, man, we should really be talking about, like, we should, we should really let them know. Like, if you've got hundreds or thousands of people, I mean, some of my clients are really well established and, Maybe they haven't worked with this client in years because their dog passed away or they moved away or whatever it is, but they still follow them. It's like take advantage of that community and tell them you're hiring. So, I mean, I hate those job boards. If we could recruit everything through referral and stuff like that, like we'd be, you know, I feel like that's maybe how dog walking was in the 90s and two, early 2000s. Like we were less reliant on these digital job boards. and It was more about like the community job board, you know, put like a, the Trader Joe's, like put something up there. And I feel like you might get more motivated people, maybe less interested in just getting a job, but like they actually want to work with animals. So, yeah. Yeah, honey. Back at the beginning, it was dial up internet. There were no digital job boards. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was you walking around and putting ads in the newspaper. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I can totally yeah. see that. All the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember dog walking in, you know, this is, 
I, this was like a the year after the iPhone came out. So, I mean, we had paper schedules and binders and, you know, I mean, I still have my binder uh, floating around here. I didn't want to let go of it. So, um, yeah, it's uh, th- there's a little bit of uh, maybe I'm romanticizing it. It's changed. Some of it's changed, you know. Um, I mean, I remember before Time to Pet and Precise Pet Care. I mean, I used to have I still have, I, I bet hundreds of clients phone numbers actual phone numbers in my i think phone. i do too yeah, yeah you know <laughs> just keep floating phone to phone yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean what's great is i don't know anyone's name i just have their dog's name you know so oh that's um, hilarious yeah i mean i have more dogs phone numbers in my phone than real people but <laughs> yeah the industry's changed but i think for what we've lost i think we've we've gained more than we lost yeah. yeah, I would I would never be able to run the volume of business that I have right now with the previous setup before I had tech. Yeah, I totally agree. And just like other things, too, like, you know, the companies that are embracing fear free and force free handling and, you know, um, diversity, equity, inclusion statements. Like it's all those little things that were, you know, people. I mean, pet sitters are pet CPR certified now. You know what I mean? Like that didn't exist in 2008 or it did. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a thing. So. Yeah, for for all the the pining I have for what the industry used to be, I think we've we've we're better off now than we were then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have smarter pet parents now that we work with, which is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, because we're all so much more interconnected now, we up level each other. Yeah, that's which a really good point. It's just, I mean, it's it's really transformed the industry over the past couple of decades. So uh, thank you so much, Joe. I'll definitely make sure I get all those links dropped down in the show notes so you can get a hold of Joe if you have particular questions about his services. And again, of course, Hannah also, if you're interested in uh, in taking advantage of that DEI uh, statement opportunity, which is great. That's awesome that you guys are doing that too. Thank you so much. It was, it was really uh, wonderful to be on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pet Biz Hive. You can follow me at Pet Biz Hive on both Facebook and Instagram and learn more at PetSitterGuru.com. What is your next best move?